when does life begin? Have you ever thought about that? Like, when does it feel like we're really living? Country artist Tim McGraw likes to say it's when we live like we're dying. But what about you? Have you ever thought about, okay, when did it feel like I'm finally living? You see, to live is one thing, but to have a life is another. And so is it when we have our first conscious thoughts, maybe those first memories? Is it middle school when we feel like we're alive? Or maybe the first time you fell in love? Or is it when you finally felt your child's hands for the first time? Those are some powerful moments in our life where sometimes we're like, I'm finally living I think a lot of those examples I gave, those are important, you know, elements in our life that kind of help us feel like life is beginning. But I would argue that life really begins when we finally realize what our passion and purpose for living is. You see, I I would argue, and I remember times of old college classes and seminars and books that kind of helped shape me the way that I'm wired. I remember sitting in classes and remembering about how one person can make a difference. And I began to say, man, what could my life really look like? And they inspired me to change. Another thing that helped that process was movies. I love movies. I love going to the movies and watching them. I think of some great uh, classics that help have helped shape me. I think of Patch Adams or Coach Carter or The Greatest Showman that have helped shape kind of how I'm wired. Maybe you too can think of movies that kind of, that you get excited about in your mind, that you think about all of these things that have helped wire you the way that you're wired. You see, one thing that I love about uh, each and every person is that each of us are wired differently. Each of us have a unique design and feature in our life, and God has designed us that way, to have a purpose and to have a passion. Well, today in our series at the movies, we're going to be taking a closer look at how we can understand what our purpose and passion for living is all about. Today, we're going to be looking at the movie Soul. What is it that makes you, you? In the all-new Pixar feature film, Soul, introduces Joe Gardner, voiced by Jamie Foxx a middle school band teacher, and he's doing his best to conduct his misfit class of 12 and 13-year-old middle schoolers. In the first scene, a 12-year-old student, Connie, stands up and gets lost in the melody of her trombone solo. She's in the zone. It reminds Joe of a story of his first experience at a jazz club with his dad listening to the notes fly off the piano. That was the day Joe knew his purpose in life. He was born to play. At the end of the scene, his class is interrupted by a knock at the door by the school's principal. And she offers him a full-time position to teach middle school band. And Joe's left contemplating his dream of playing jazz versus the steady paycheck, medical insurance, and pension that comes with his new full-time offer of teaching music. I love this scene. Like, the middle school band's playing, how terrible is it? Like, it's so bad, you're kind of like, 
and like our character Joe Gardner is trying to teach them. He's like, stay on the beat. And he's trying to help them and he's teaching them. And, you know, I, I never really played band. I was more like the choir. Ah. Like that's what I did in middle school. Like that was my version. I still lost my voice. It's okay. But I remember like this middle school band and seeing all these things. And Joe's trying to teach these kids that they are born to do something. And you see Joe Gardner playing the piano so beautifully. And he begins to say he was born to play music. He was born to play jazz. Have you ever felt that way? Where maybe something inside of you that you were like, man, I'm born to do this. For some of us, it comes naturally. I think of professional athletes and artists where it's just natural. It flows out of them. They're like, yeah, I'm just gifted. But for many of us, through blood, sweat, and tears, we have to crawl our way to get what we want and to get that purpose and passion in our life. You see, for some of us, it's this trial and error where we take one step forward, but it feels like we're two steps back, but we keep pushing forward. And even at times where we keep pushing forward, people along the way will go, why are you keep doing this? Why do you keep doing this over and over again? Like, you're not succeeding. It seems like you're actually struggling. And so why don't you just give up? But inside of you, you go, no, I can't because it just feels like I'm born to do this. I'm reminded of the prophet Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah was in the Old Testament, and Jeremiah was a man who, who began to proclaim the message of Jesus to everyone around him. And Jeremiah's nickname was the Weeping Prophet. I mean, we all have nicknames, but that's kind of a rough one. And, and Jeremiah, he began to proclaim the message of Jesus, but people begin to say, hey, people aren't responding. Like, hey, you're having a rough life. Your life doesn't look that good. Why are you doing this? And at times, Jeremiah wrestled with this idea of, should I give up or should I get going? In Jeremiah chapter 20, he says a great line about how he was born to do this. Here's what he says in Jeremiah 20, verse 9. If I say, I will not mention him or speak any more of his name, there is in my heart as if it were a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. For many of us, maybe you've experienced that. When someone asks you, why don't you give up? And you go, listen, I, I know this last year I may have failed the test again, or man, things haven't really progressed, and I, I just keep trying because there's like this fire inside of my bones, and I, I just can't stop. You feel like you were born to do that. It's just inside of you. It oozes out of you. For our character, Joe, he, his passion and purpose is to play jazz professionally, but, but that didn't work out so much. In fact, as we saw on the scene, Joe uh, gets a knock at the door and all of a sudden the, the principal's there and she says, Joe, no more part-time teaching for you. You get a full job with paycheck, pension, and retirement. And you see Joe wrestle with this tension of like, wow, is this, is this really it? He walks back into his classroom and he sees these jazz players uh, all on his wall and he wonders, I thought I was born to do this. Is this what I have? I think here in 2021, we are still wondering those same questions. We are still asking those questions of like, when we didn't get what we wanted, we didn't meet that expectation that we thought, and we're going, is this what I have? Is this what I want? And we're trying to figure out what our purpose and passion really is. 
I would challenge you, take a walk down any store that sells books and on any aisle, tons of shelves, you will see books written about people finding their purpose and finding their passion. It's very interesting. Some of the most popular bestsellers of our day are all about purpose and passion. Two that come to mind is Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life and John Piper's Don't Waste Your Life are books talking about how can we live in this life and make an impact because each of us feel this desire that we're supposed to do something extraordinary with our life. There's this wrestle and this tension and see, for our character Joe, he he was born to play jazz, but then life threw him a curveball. He began to teach middle school band and he's wrestling, wondering, If only I had one more shot. If only I got one more shot, what could have happened? And in fact, Joe gets this opportunity. And Joe gets a a phone call from his former student named Curly. And Curly tells him, hey, uh, our, our, our piano player has backed out and we need somebody. And we're playing for Dorothea Williams. And Joe is like elated. He's like, Dorothea Williams? Like for us, that would be like our modern day Ella Fitzgerald or maybe our modern day Adele. And we're like, Adele? Yeah, I'll play for Adele. And, and he is so pumped and so excited to play for Dorothea Williams that he goes to the audition and he nails it. And Joe leaves the theater. He is so ecstatic that he's crushed the audition to come back and perform that night. But much like in life, just when you're at the top, life has a way of bringing us back down to reality. Joe gets an incredible opportunity to play jazz at the best jazz club in town, the Half Note. He emerges from the club and gives a shout of joy to the sky, knowing his dad would be so proud of him. We see Joe traveling around town and telling everyone he can about his gig that night. In the scenes around town, he has several near-death experiences. Bricks falling inches from where he's walking, rushing traffic, barely missing him. He walks over a sidewalk filled with banana peels and a box of nails, a dog almost attacking him, a scooter almost running him over, and nothing can stop him until he falls into an open manhole in the crosswalk. Moments later, a blue glowing character with fedora and glasses enter the scene in a dark abyss, leading to a glowing bright light. Scared, the glowing soul of Joe begins to run away from the light in a panic. He runs into three other blue glowing souls, pleading his case that he's not supposed to be there. They explain to him that he's about to enter the great beyond. He explains to these three glowing souls that he's not dying the very day I got my shot. I'm due. I'm not dying today. Not when my life just started. The three glowing blue souls ascend into the bright light and get zapped like a moth in a bug zapper. The soul of Joe runs as fast as he can in the opposite direction of the light, screaming, I don't want to die! It is here where the real journey of Joe Gardner begins. I really enjoy this scene, and there's a lot happening in this. And so two big things that are happening is this dealing with the afterlife and crushed dreams. And and so I want to kind of unpack both of these for us. First, let's, let's deal with the afterlife. If you watch this movie with your kids, you probably had a lot of questions. Your kids were like, Mom, 
Dad, are we going to be like a blue thing when we die? Mom, Dad, are we going to be like a moth that gets destroyed by a zapper when we die? And if you were a good parent, you probably were like, let's talk about that. I would encourage you when you watch movies with your kids, talk about what they watched. Walk them through this. It's so important. And while that seems kind of funny to think about that we would just be like a zapper, here at all of our churches, we don't believe that. We don't believe that we're going to be like moths that just die at a zapper. That's how it ends. We actually believe that there is, in fact, death, but there is two destinations, either heaven or hell. We, we believe this not because we think it's something good, but we believe this because Scripture informs us on this. We hold tightly to, to God's word, believing that it has truth and it speaks to these issues. And so let's talk about the afterlife. Is there this great beyond or this great before? Or is there like this purgatory, like waiting place that maybe we're just all waiting Many faiths differ on this, and so again, I would encourage you to, to know what your faith believes. But here at all of our churches, we believe that in fact that when we die, that we have an opportunity to spend eternity with Jesus. Not, why do we believe that? Again, because Scripture talks about this issue. We believe that there is a, a real afterlife. Scripture talks about in, in passages like James 4.14 or Psalms 39.4 that remind us how fragile life is. That our life is like a mist, here today and gone tomorrow. And so when our life passes on, should we be afraid? Like, I've met so many people, when it comes to the afterlife, we're kind of afraid of it. We're, we're afraid to touch it, talk about it. We're like, I don't really want to deal with it, so let me just live life now. But for those of us who put our faith in Jesus, and I would encourage you, my hope is that you would, but my, my, our hope is that for those of us who do, we don't have to live afraid. We don't have to wonder, what's it going to look like? Again, we, we let scripture inform us. One of my favorite verses, Isaiah 25, 8, says this, that one day death will be swallowed up forever and the sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all of our faces. How encouraging is that? That one day death the great death is going to be swallowed up forever and the sovereign Lord is going to wipe away our tears. No more crying. No more just falling down and knowing not what to do. We can rest assured that one day God is going to wipe away the tears from our eyes. Or, or, or one of the most popular verses in John 3.16 that says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. We can rest assured for those of us who put our faith in Jesus that we don't have to fear what does eternity look like. For those of us who call on Jesus, for those of us who put our faith in Jesus, we can rest assured that there is a resting place called heaven for us. There is great encouragement for this. Not only do we see that this scene deals with the afterlife, but it also deals with this idea of crushed dreams. If you will, you can remember our, our character, Joe, he, he dies and he gets there and he's running around going, what is happening? And he says, no, 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 not on the day when I got my first shot. No, I'm due. This is my time. Maybe you two have felt that way. That maybe like Joe, you didn't die physically, but your dreams died. And, and you're wondering, 
what do I do? Like, this was my shot. This was my chance. I was not expecting to get that report today. I wasn't expecting to be downsized. Why? I was here longer, but why did they get let go, or why did they not get let go, and I did? How come my marriage is on the rocks? How come these things aren't working, and you are wondering, like Joe, whoa, 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 what do I do with crushed dreams? I am so encouraged by God's word because I'm reminded over and over again that the early church dealt with crushed dreams and unmet expectations. So many times the early church, in fact, they were persecuted for their faith and they are running for their lives. And they're trying to figure out, okay, what do we do in this process? And the Apostle Paul has to end up writing a letter to the church of Corinth to remind them to have faith. I want to encourage you this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. So we don't lose heart. Though the outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. How can we have hope when life hands us disappointment after disappointment? We do what the Apostle Paul encourages us to do, to not lose hope. He says, don't lose hope and don't lose heart. We hold on and we know that though this outer body, we each have a body and oh, it's wasting away. For those of us who put our faith in Jesus, we know this inner self is being renewed day by day. And there is going to be pain. Apostle Paul says this is a a, a momentary affliction and at times, man, that momentary affliction, it does not feel momentary. It can feel eternal. And it feels like this weight is so heavy, but we need to remember that it's momentary. Because why? What is seen, the things that we see, the things that we can touch, the things that we can feel, they are temporary. We look to the things that are eternal. We look to the heavens, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. But you might be listening today and going, Philip, how does fixing my eyes on Jesus help me? You you might be wondering, okay, how does that help me right now? Listen, I lost the job. I didn't make the cut. I got that report from the doctor that was terrible, and I don't know how to have hope. How does that help me right now today? Because knowing that God is eternal, that he is in control, helps us now. What do I mean that God is eternal? Do you remember the old school song? He's got the whole world in his hands. Like, you may be like, he's got the whole world in his hands. Like, you may be excited and singing that. If you don't know that, YouTube that later. It'll be great. Um, but we can rest assured that God is in control. So how can trusting that God is in control help me? Because God is above all, he is in all, and he is through all. God is above all. God is above everything. He is in control. He has it all figured out. We don't have to wonder. So when there's a misstep or we feel like we're wondering what's happening, he actually knows what's going on. He is above all. 
He is in all. He has experienced it all. He has sent his son Jesus to live on this earth. And so we can rest assured, Hebrews talks about that we have a great high priest who can sympathize with us because he was tempted and tried in every way. We can rest assured that there is Jesus, but then he is through all, walking alongside us because he sends the Holy Spirit who is our comforter and who walks with us. And so how can it help me? How does fixing my eyes on Jesus help me? Because I know that he is with me, alongside me, that I don't have to fear anymore. We do what the the author of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 10, 23. If you don't memorize scripture, I want to give you a challenge. Begin to memorize scripture. There is great truth when we memorize scripture and hide it in our heart because it helps direct us and guide us. And so Hebrews chapter 10, 23 is a great starter verse to memorize. Here's what it says. Hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. The author of Hebrews tells us that we need to hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? Because he who is promised is faithful. Even though we may have lost the job, even though we may have gotten cancer or our kids are rebellious and they're not listening to us and they're not coming back. Even though our marriage feels like it's on the rocks and we don't know what to do. Even when we don't know what the report's gonna be, what do we do? We we hold on to the confession of our hope, just like I'm holding on to this table and we hold on with all we have. What is the confession of our hope? The confession of our hope is this, that we believe that God sent his son Jesus to this earth And Jesus not only lived on this earth, but he died on the cross for our sins. And then not only did he die, but he rose again, conquering death for once and for all. The confession of our hope is trusting in the gospel, believing that it is good and it is true. And so when when the author of Hebrews says, hold on, hold fast to the confession of our hope, we hold fast and we go, I can't let go. Right now, this hurts. And right now, this momentary affliction feels like an eternal affliction, but I'm not focusing on one of the things that are temporary. Rather, I'm focusing on the things that are eternal. And so I'm keeping my eyes fixed on Jesus. The confession of my hope, knowing that he who is promised, Jesus is faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. And so many times in my life, when when things have gone wrong and unexpected and things that I thought were going to work out and they didn't, later when I begin to share that pain, I begin to share that struggle with friends around me, I begin to realize that God actually is using that to help others. That God is using that for a greater purpose in mind. And he's using it to help others. We see this in our character, Joe's life. You see, when Joe, in the afterlife, he meets this this character named 22. And 22 doesn't really want to get down to earth. And Joe wants to get back down to earth. And if you're like, what are you talking about? Hey, watch the movie. Uh, I encourage you, it's a great movie. And, And so... 22 and Joe, they begin to begin to come to agreement and realize they need to help each other in their pursuit of their goal. And so what happens is 22 devises a plan and, he, and 22 says, hey, I have this friend who honestly is my favorite character in the movie, uh, my hippie friend, Moonwind. Joe is teamed up with the soul named 22, voiced by Tina Fey. 
And together they try to find the answers to some of life's biggest questions. Joe and 22 enter into a whole new space, a zone of other souls playing music. 22 refers to it as the zone, the space between physical and spiritual. It's in this space that we see these dark figures coming out of the shadows, repeating, make a trade, make a trade. 22 pleads for Joe to run as these dark creatures chase them down. Just in the nick of time, a sort of tie-dye peace pirate ship saves them from the dark creatures. Okay, stay with me. And a peppy, long-haired soul named Moonwind Star Dancer introduces himself to Joe. Joe requests help to try and get back to his body, and Moonwind excitedly offers to help the lost souls of the Earth find their way. Suddenly, we see these lost souls he was talking about are the dark creatures that were chasing him. The darkness around the lost soul crumbles and a blue male soul emerges from the ashes crying out, make a trade. Star Dancer reveals a glimpse of Earth as the male glowing soul drops down a portal into his earthly body and enters a man sitting at a desk full of computer monitors and he exclaims, what am I doing with my life? Then the man cries out in exuberance, I'm alive, I'm alive, free yourself. Seeing this, Joe thinks he still has a chance to return to his body on earth. Maybe he's not really dead. Moonwind asks Joe and 22 to board the ship to try and reconnect Joe to his life on earth through a thin spot. As they travel aboard the ship to find the thin space, they see the dark covered lost souls that were once in the zone. Moonwind describes these dark souls as those who once were doing things that brought joy to their lives. But those activities have become an obsession, and these souls became wandering, lost souls, and disconnected with life. Ever feel that way? Now listen, before you turn this off and you're like, here we go, talking about purpose and mission, and I knew it, these churches are a bunch of hippies and weirdos. Listen, I know people who turn the movie off at this point. Like, just, just hang with us, okay? Hang with me. Trust me here. There is a little bit of truth in everything. My favorite character is Moonwind. The, the ship drops and Moonwind comes off, and Moonwind says what his purpose and mission is. He says, I am a mystic without borders, helping lost souls find their way. Now, I don't know about you, but that reminded me of a biblical passage that James, the half-brother of Jesus, reminds the early church. James, in chapter 5, verse 20, here's what he says. Whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. James is writing to the early church, the early Christ followers. And he's saying, hey, look, we need to be Christ followers, Christians who are on the lookout for people who have lost souls, who, are, who once tasted the good news, but now have rejected it and going their own way. Now, again, Moonwind's mission is helping lost souls find their way. It's very close to what James tells the Christ followers to be, to be people 
who help bring back people who are wandering and we will save their soul. I love that phrase, lost soul. You see, for, for the movie Soul, a lost soul is one who got obsessed with their passion, that they become disconnected from life and everyone else. I want to be honest that the game Candy Crush, I got lost for a long time. So many levels, so many layers, and I was like, I got to get it. And they're like, ooh, tasty. Like maybe you remember that game. I can't ever download it again. I got disconnected from life for a while. But, but listen, we're not talking about that when I say lost soul, we're talking about something even better. You see, Scripture talks about this idea of souls. That each of us, that we have a soul. You see, God has designed each person with a mind, body, and soul. In fact, the greatest commandment, Jesus says, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Over and over again, Scripture talks about that we have these souls. Even the Apostle Paul earlier, remember, he says, though this outer shell is wasting away, we are being renewed day by day uh, by Jesus. And so what we're meaning is that, that there is a physical body that we have that is going to waste away, but there is this soul that will live forever. Our, our souls are, are not a part of us that is not, it's the part of us that is not physical, it's the part of every human that lasts eternity beyond death. It's the part that lives forever. And we believe the soul can, can rest in two places. It can either rest in, in heaven with Jesus, or it can rest in, in hell where Jesus refers to it as weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so wouldn't you think it's incredibly important for us to make sure that we have our souls rest in the right place? This is why James argued for Christians and Christ followers to be so important to, to not only think of ourselves, but to focus on others. If we've already tasted the good news of the gospel, to be focused on others and saying, please trust Jesus, surrender your life to him. We should be people who are pursuing and telling others about this, that we can have hope. And how do we have that hope? By surrendering our life to Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Has your soul found rest? Has your soul found rest in God? Or are you so focused on others that you're missing it for yourself? I, I want to challenge you. Look, how can you expect others to be rescued when you don't even rescue yourself? How can you expect others to have hope and post about having hope and saying, just hold on, friend, when you don't even do it yourself? There is a mission and a purpose, and God is saying, I want to be near to you. James talks about this idea that says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Friend, we have an option to rest in Jesus. And for some of us, we are so focused on others that we are rejecting the mission for ourselves. And I don't want us to do that. And so you might be saying, Philip, Okay, how do I have rest? How do I do this? Again, I, I am so encouraged by Jesus because Jesus is speaking to a large crowd. Jesus is speaking to large crowds and he can tell they're weary and they're tired. And here's what Jesus says in Matthew 11, verse 28. He says, come to me, 
all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus says, friend, you want rest? Stop looking for it in everything else. Stop expecting a new job, a new pay raise. Stop expecting a new thing that you bought to give you rest. No, trust and come to me, all who are heavy and laden and heavy burden, and I will give you rest. And he says, I'll give you rest for your soul. For some of us, today needs to be the day that we find rest in Jesus. And listen, I don't want to miss an opportunity for any of us not to respond to that. And so right now, right where you're at, I encourage you, if you will, just just bow your head and close your eyes. And I want to have a real conversation where you get to have a real conversation with God. So right now, you can simply say, if you're sitting there, you're listening, and you're saying, God, I I want to find my rest in you. I want to trust my soul with you. Here's what you can simply say. Say, Heavenly Father, God, here am I. God, I don't have it all figured out, but I know that I need you. God, I've been looking for rest in every other thing, and I am still restless. I just feel like I can't get rest, and so I know that I need you. And so here's what I confess, because Scripture says that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we would be saved. And so, God, I believe in your son, Jesus, that he is who he says he is. He is the son of God. And I believe that he did what he said he did, which was to come to this earth, die on the cross for my sin. But then that he rose again, conquering death once and for all. And so today, Jesus, I put my rest, I put my soul, I trust you and want to make you the Lord of my life. And so today, Jesus, become the king of my life. As we continue to pray, for those of you who just said that, we want to walk with you at all of our locations and celebrate with you here in a moment. But here's what I know. For some of us who are watching, some of us who are listening, many of us, we are walking around tired and burdened and we're wondering, what do we do? We have these unmet expectations and we're saying, God, what do I do? I want to encourage you to run to Jesus. Remember, hold fast to the confession of your hope, knowing that he who is promised is faithful. Don't give up hope. Hold on. Trust that God has a bigger plan in place because he is above all, he is in all, and he is through all. And so let me pray for you as well. Heavenly Father, And God, I pray for all of us. God, I I am so thankful that you are a God who is in control, that you are not far away, but rather, God, you are close. Scripture says that you are closer than a brother, that you are right beside us. So, Lord, I pray that we would not be looking for rest in other places, but rather that we would find our rest in you. Lord, I am so thankful that you you send the Holy Spirit to be our comforter. And so, Holy Spirit, would you comfort us today? 
Lord, if there's anything in our way that we are not fixing our eyes on you, would we remove that, repent of that, and trust you? And God, if there's anything in our path that we have not surrendered to you, that we would do that today. Lord, I ask this week that even today that we would find a time where we'd get close to you and we would hold on with all that we have, knowing that you are faithful. God, thank you for being God who's active and wants to be in our life. And so, Lord, we surrender to you, committing to follow you with all that we can. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.